This episode is brought to you by HBO. Hello, first of all, fam. I have a really fun, exciting announcement before we head into this week's episode. So, the finalists for the 2020 HBO APA Visionary Short Film Competition have been announced. I'm so excited because I actually had the honor of being on the judging panel this year. HBO Visionaries will be celebrating its fourth class of emerging Asian and Pacific Islander American filmmakers on Friday, September 25th during the virtual Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival. Shout out to Visual Communications. I love you. So tune in at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Friday, September 25th via www.hbovisionaries.com to meet this year's visionaries, watch the films, and see some familiar faces. Like me, maybe. Find more information about the program and official rules on the website, and keep an eye out for the opening of submissions for the 2021 competition and the opportunity to have your short film considered for HBO and HBO Max. So get on it, fledgling filmmakers. I believe in you. I might be joining you. Let's do this. Again, it's www.hbovisionaries.com. All three Visionary 2020 shorts will also be available to stream on HBO Max on Tuesday, September 29th. So mark your calendars. I'll see you there. And now, on to the episode. Love you. You're listening to... Whoa! Hot luck. Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and culture. I'm your host, Minji Chang, and thanks so much for tuning in for this week's episode. Hope you're doing well, staying safe, staying sane. We're still in the COVID era. It's not over yet. I hope you guys are wearing your masks, social distancing, washing your hands, getting tested, and uh, just taking care of yourselves and each other. Hopefully we're... Well, I really don't know. I'm not a public health specialist, though I could have been in a former life. Uh, (laughs) So I can't make any recommendations here. All I know is, you know, we can't get too comfortable yet because science and facts. So in the meantime, all we can do is take care of ourselves and each other. So I hope you're doing that and sending lots of love to everybody. It has been a year. I would love to say thank you to everybody who's been responding to my call to action from the last episode. Um, I'm really happy to know that the inspired action outburst of uh, of love, uh, the pep talk episode that I posted last week has made such an impact. I'm really touched and moved and grateful for all of the messages that I've received from people who did need to hear that. Ironically, I've had multiple moments this past week where I was kind of on the brink of really feeling tapped out and really discouraged and really kind of worried about the future. And I happened to go back and listen to it. And it's funny, like hosting a podcast and just in general in life, I I I go full steam ahead. You know, I'm that kind of person. And in that, I don't know if it's age, it's lack of sleep, stress, what it what it is, but um, my memory is starting to get really shot. So when I re-listened to my podcast, my pep talk, it was like listening to a brand new conversation. It was kind of concerning me. I was like, oh my God, I think my brain's deteriorating and it's really not good. Um, but I'd forgotten a lot of what I said. So it was kind of weird and meta to listen to myself speak so passionately to myself, from myself. But then it also is totally on brand because I'm doing this whole, you know, healing and self-discovery work 
including like singing love songs to myself. If you guys haven't done that yet, I still highly recommend it. Again, you might be in a better place now than when you first listened to that Stuck on You episode. If you haven't listened to it, go check that out. Because all these different funny, lovely ways to shower ourselves with self-love, I mean, they really are fun. They're really meaningful. I bawled my eyes out and just felt really nice to show myself the love and the validation and support that I've been seeking so long from other people and other things. And you never know. Like, you really just might be ready. I'm really big on this timing issue right now that um, I need to surrender to timing and understand that I will encounter things when it's right for me. So anything that comes to me, if it's a no at that time, it might be a no at that time and it might be a yes later. I don't know. But to remain open and sensitive and aware and all those things. So anyway, um, I'm just really happy that the pet talk helped. It helped me weirdly. And uh, I'm learning a lot as I go. And hopefully we'll continue to have more talks like that. I've been putting it out there. And I've also been receiving it, just having more of these open conversations with my family and friends. And it's been pretty life-changing. So take it one step at a time. Like I I mentioned, I really believe in that. I've been living that and we're all going to be okay together. Okay. So Glad you enjoyed that. And thank you for the love. Thank you for tagging me and sharing it. It's great. I hope you're sharing it with friends that might need it. Again, not everything's meant for social media. It's just really want it to help the people that it could help. You know, that's the goal. Anywho, I'm really excited for this week's episode because we're touching upon a topic that is near and dear to my heart, one that I used to be pretty self-conscious about talking about openly because One thing was the image aspect, like I didn't know how sexy talking about politics and the census might be to an audience. And B, just because I felt so grossly like uneducated on it and didn't feel like I had any space or authority to speak on it on like a podcast. But I also figured that that's where a lot of people are. And that's the conversation that maybe we would all benefit from having. I've also realized that with my audience and with the world in general, we are making a lot of assumptions about each other that of like what's sexy or what's not. There are a lot of people who are incredibly woke, passionate, brilliant, um, curious about political activism, about politics in general. And I think it really benefits all of us to have a very basic understanding. So that's really the intention behind here to have a conversation about our voices, our identities, our representation Um, why we get invested, why this matters, and how we can participate, because I'm still very much learning. I have been uh, involved pretty heavily this year for the 2020 census and being counted, understanding what the census does in impacting, you know, over a trillion dollars of federal funding, federal um, funding that we contribute to as taxpayers. And I'm in my 30s, you guys. So just as a disclaimer, The last census was in my 20s, and I definitely didn't fill that out. I just, I don't remember it. So it's kind of baffling to me how much it matters now, the relevance, um, feeling a bit guilty about not having cared in the past and wondering why I didn't care in the past, and seeing what I can do to contribute to the conversation now. So that being said, I'm so excited to present this episode with Sam Hyun, Sam and I met in a census Zoom meeting. We actually were participating in like this private Zoom conversation for Asian American 
leaders and influencers and just people in general who are really passionate about learning more and talking about it and see how we could impact the larger community. Um, shout out to Michelle Hanabusa and to Hollis Wongware from We Are Uprisers. We organized this together and it was honestly such a great night where I was humbled and educated and motivated and inspired. There are such smart, woke people in that room, in that virtual room. It was like 20 something of us. And that's where I met Sam. You know, I got to hear him speak just only about the census. I didn't really know his background or anything. And I was really just kind of awe-inspired by his passion and by um, his intellect. Like he knew so much. And I was like, wow, this dude knows a lot. I don't know that much. I want to learn more. And it was really cool to have that energy where I didn't feel stifled or or overly stupid that I'm like filled with shame and I'm just like not even going to approach him. It's like, Sam, can I talk to you? And Sam, you know, in his very busy life, graciously said yes. So I'm really excited that he's on this podcast to talk about his journey with politics, his journey as a person, and um, why all of this matters and how we are going to be elevating our voices to make a difference. Okay, so Sam is a commissioner on the Massachusetts Asian American Commission. He's a master's of public policy and MBA student, too. So, woo, shout out to the public policy nerds. And anyway, he also hosts Real Talk Tuesdays for Hate is a Virus and the hashtag I Am podcast. And his mission is to build solidarity and to help build and create a world that is truly just and equal, something that I very much align with. And I'm really just happy to know and get to know Sam in real time on this podcast as you guys tune in. So I hope that you guys are walking away from this episode curious and inspired, motivated to learn more and to support Sam, all of these different uh, leaders in their work, because it's a it's a very symbiotic relationship. We can't we can't all do this without each other. You know what I mean? So um, I do hope you enjoy this episode. Your voice matters with Sam Young. What you're saying, though. Mm, don't you know? Yeah. Came in 88 with a dream also bright eyed. They knew right away, sick of swim, there's no lifelines. Hi, Sam. Nobody's filling these shoes. How's it going? I'm good. Just Are you good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, just trying to, you know, make sure I put one foot in front of the other and stay focused. That's all I can do, right? Exactly. I think that's really all we can do. It's just like lay down each brick every day and hopefully, you know, eventually you'll build build the world that you want to see. Do you do you know uh the Will Smith story where he talks about like building a wall? You don't like set out to build a wall, you set out to like lay the brick one brick at a time and eventually have a wall. I didn't know that, but I'm a big Will Smith guy. So Definitely. it makes sense that we think similarly. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like, uh, I depend on some of the motivational videos on a, on a pretty regular basis to help me. That's part of my, uh, what do you call it? Like self-support system. Mm. Do you have like a routine? Do you have like, do you have a, I don't even know, like a pre COVID or current, uh, COVID survival practice. I don't know what the word is. Yeah. I, I mean, one big, really, really big thing for me is um, my faith. So that relying on that and relying on my relationship with God is really important to me in the sense that it's not about me. And when I yeah. say that, I think a lot of people, when they hear that, they're like, oh, so you're just like super religious. All you do is pray, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, it's more, it's way actually more simple than that. Mm -hmm. It's that this is not about me. Wow. And when it's not about you, 
when people attack you, people criticize you, people um, undermine you, whatever the situation is, if it's not about you, then it doesn't hurt as much or it doesn't hurt. And because the goal is for something so much bigger. So that's where my faith has really helped me a lot. And it kind of helped me stay sane. It's, it's not that's about beautiful. me. I but love when I do that. make it about me, then I start getting sad. I guess start getting depressed and I start, my anxiety gets bad. And then, um, and, and when I start making, being self-centered, Sam, are you uh, peeking into my psyche today? Is this like what's happening? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm a, I, I used to I used to be pretty religious. And I love that we're just like diving right into the deep end, right out the gate. I love it. Um, I, I grew up pretty religious, and I'm not so much religious anymore, but I'm highly spiritual. I guess mm-hmm. you know that's mm-hmm. the best way to frame it. And uh, I believe very much in divine timing. I believe that things happen. Uh, like like you're saying, like there's a higher power. There's there's something more cosmic, more greater that we are not necessarily aware of, and that's a beautiful thing. And I get I get certain moments in my day, I, honestly, on a daily basis, where I'm just like, "Yo, I was meant to hear this. I I was supposed mm-hmm. to have this conversation." So I just want to let you know, I feel that like right up top, which is a really cool feeling. Um, and and. I'm like getting to know your philosophy on life, your the the way that you approach uh, your day to day, which is dope. But I'm still just getting to know you, so I kind of want to rewind because we'll get back to that. I definitely want to uh, we'll find our way back to this this point in our uh, <laughs> our conversation. But I'm just like I all I know is from a, a conversation. Like it wasn't even a conversation; it was like a group meet think uh, thing that we did for the census not too long ago. And right out the right off the bat, like I just I got a good vibe from you and uh, things that we shared or things that I heard you share about why the census matters. And like to a lot of people, they don't there's probably a lot of people out there who who really could who could not care um, in the least bit. But like I was just really I was intrigued. I was like, wow, dude, Sam's really dope. I want to get to know him better. I want him to school me because he clearly knows a lot about this stuff that I don't. And um, just giving context for anybody tuning in, can you tell me more about yourself? <laughs> like, where, <laughs> where are you? Where, who is Sam? And like, where are you from? And what, what's going on? Like, how, how did, how did we come to that census meeting? Is, is what I'm asking. Totally. You know, most people who are listening are probably be like, who the fuck is this guy? Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, like, 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 just saying all these like really nice things, but it's like I have never heard this dude in my life. And nor should you have heard of me. So um, I would say like, so I, my, my, both my parents immigrated to, to the U.S. about 30 years ago. Well, my dad was here previously and, and then got arranged marriage to my mom. And wow. then they came over to the States. And so my mom grew up in South Korea in Busan, which is uh, in the southern part of Korea for people who don't yeah. do not know. And she was always very progressive in the way that she thought. And the way that she was, she was about 30 years old. She was working as a computer programmer and realized that she didn't want to raise her children in a patriarchal society that was still very much nepotistic, that was still very much uh, very traditional back uh, in the way that it thought. And, and in the sense that, especially, you know, in when she was growing up, like Korea was still very much struggling and not the, you know, um, I guess like first world industrialized, uh, fast paced economy, robust economy that it is today. Mm. So the way that she, she was, she, what she is now 
admitted to, you know, in our talks is that she was escaping Korea when she married gotcha. my dad. And so she they came to Boston and raised yeah. us um, in Boston until we were young. And then my mom was like, I need to give my ch children the best opportunity to succeed and have a better life. And so even though we could barely afford it, we moved to Newton, which is a very affluent, um, predominantly white, heavily, heavily Jewish populated um, suburb, like 20 minutes outside of Boston. One mm -hmm. of the best public school systems in the country. And, mm -hmm. and my mom worked like three, four jobs, whatever it took, borrowing money from people, uh, whatever it took basically to make sure that we could be educated in, in Newton. Um, and that we wouldn't have to work when she, like she had to, and that we could participate in all the, like, uh, you know, after school stuff like, like sports and, um, with my sister, she did ballet and whatever it was. So, so we got the full experience and the learning, learning that all the other kids did that I grew up with. That's dope. So, um, and even then, like my mom always even when it was really hard financially for the past 15, 16 years, she's been um, serving Boston Rescue Mission, uh, making about 120 to 150 meals once a month. And that was something that she, she never forced us to go, but she was like, I'm going to show them what, what serving the community looks like. Um, Your mom's already my hero. I just need to let you know. She sounds like, she sounds like an, an incredible woman. I mean, that's, I know that they're there, they are out there. Um, but there's a lot of these Asian American narratives and a lot of immigrant stories that are, are very powerful in each, you know, in each of their uniqueness and the way that people have been resilient and overcome different hardships in their lives. Uh, but I just, I just need to comment and insert here. <laughs> Sam, your mom sounds like an extraordinary woman. Like what a badass. She, she really is though. Like I've literally been stopped in the middle of the street before. And, you know, one guy came up to me and he was like, are you Donna's kid? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, and, and he was like, your mom saved my life. And I was like, what do you mean? And so we, we sat down on the bench and I was on my way back to work actually. So I used to work at the, at the state house for the house speaker. And what he said to me was that what he was at the laundromat one day and was severely depressed, um, you know, really just at wit's end and didn't really know what to do anymore. And my mom just kind of came up to him and asked him if he was okay. And mm -hmm. so she owns a laundromat. So my mom owns a laundromat now uh, for the past 12 years. I'm and, a dry cleaner kid. Well, and, and, and her aunt, uh, down a couple, couple blocks away owns a uh, dry cleaner. So, uh, we're very much <laughs> we're in, very we're cut from the same cloth. You know what I mean? Same cloth, <laughs> same cloth different coast. Yes. Um, and so basically she was just like, she heard him. He told his story. He told how she was, how he was feeling. And she was for the first time in a long time, he felt seen and he felt heard. Mm -hmm. And, and that's something that really resonated with me because all throughout my life growing up, no matter how much I excelled in sports, no matter how much I excelled, you know, um, was, was quote unquote popular. I never felt seen or heard. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's something that so many children, particularly children of color 
particularly children of immigrants experience. Yes. No, it's uh, it's a. I I don't. I mean, I don't want to credit everything, but I do think that there's something very specifically unique and profound and important about this particular moment in time of like what we're collectively going through. And a lot of people are being forced to. And I've I've talked about this on um, several episodes of my podcast because I'm very big on the kind of self-discovery and the self-development and mental health, you know, path. And there's a huge dam that's breaking right now. I think within a lot of us, a lot of people within our generation in particular, of uh, a lot of children of immigrants who have felt a tremendous amount of like suppression, angst, uh, disconnection from self, not knowing who the hell they even are. Right. And, uh, I think the really big silver lining to this, I'm not like taking it lightly or taking joy out of people's pain, but the pain is like a conduit for, for that recognition, for that identification. Like there's been something really, really kind of broken or, or, you know what I mean? Like just like identifying yeah. the pro it's, it's like that's a key thing to even figure out how how the hell to proceed, right? You can't you can't fix something you don't know is broke. And uh, even if you feel like it's broken, you still need to like again figure out what it is. So I think that it's really powerful that you speak to it with such clarity because that uh for a lot of different people are in various stages of figuring out what that is. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. Oof. And, and, and props to your mom. I think, um, there's a lot of ways for people to see each other and to, to recognize that in one another. And it is so powerful. It can be so like small and simple, but to feel seen and heard. I mean, I, I mean, it really does change, completely change someone's life once they feel that they're seen and heard, but more mm-hmm. so when they reckon they see themselves and they, mm-hmm. see themselves and they value themselves. And right. so I think it's one that, that flip switches where, you're no longer doing things to be seen and heard from other people, but you see and you hear yourself. Yes. And once you do that, then other people actually start to see you and other people start to hear you. And that was something that I had to learn and mistakes along the way where like, I definitely went over the top to overcompensate because I was so damn insecure. And it's, that's something that's like, with your boys, like you can't talk about, you can't go up to your boys, but yo, I feel really insecure. Otherwise they just, they just shit on you even more because they're insecure. They're hurting. They like, they don't want to acknowledge it. Right. Um, They don't have the vocabulary to like, to talk about. Yeah. But I grew up in a house full of women and you know, it's really interesting because I recently learned of a study that shows that like, if, if you grow, if you have an organization or a group, where there's it's like up to 75% of the group are, is comprised of women, then mm-hmm. your collective intelligence is actually significantly higher and tests higher under a variety of different circumstances or variables. So I think it's very interesting that like I surrounded myself with very uh, like independent, uh, opinionated women who mm-hmm. are not afraid to check my ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like, you know what, like <laughs> without even realizing it, I put myself in an advantageous pro- um, situation to grow. That's dope. I love that you look at it that way. Cause not everyone's going to look at it that way. They'd be like, why is my life so terrible? How did I end up here? But that's, I mean, yes. I mean, I, I definitely went through a lot of struggle. Like I'm not, but I also like recognize, I put, I always try to put things in perspective. I also recognize that 
as difficult as situations were for me, because when the problems are your problems, it feels like the whole world is on your shoulders and nothing is going your way. Right. But at the end of the day, like everybody feels that way. So for me exactly. to put my problems and my struggles above the, above the struggles of other people is really selfish and on a, and and also arrogant. So mm. yeah, I feel you, Sam. You're like speaking to my soul right now. I'm telling <laughs> you, like this is this is this is a definitely a divinely guided conversation. But anyway, um, we've already acknowledged that. I, I I'm really like curious because I I mean so I'm you know I'm basically a different version of you on that grew up on in the West Coast, um, in the Bay Area, and I I've really kind of been taking stock of my own insecurities and like all of the overcompensating that I did. Cause I was like super, super achievement oriented, which I like fundamentally don't like resent. I'm really grateful for like, for what those things have provided me. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing. I think that it's, there's value in again, the struggle. Um, but I'm getting clear on like, what were these habits and what were the motivations? Cause that's what matters to me at the end of it. Right. The behavior was cool. I got really, uh, driven by getting straight A's or whatever, right? Like I wanted excellence and top of class and whatever. Um, but the path to that was definitely bumpy. And so it instilled certain values and habits in me, but now I'm like really examining like, well, why, why was I so hell bent on that? Why did I need that in order to feel like I was worth something? Right. And if you took that away, like, what would that leave me feeling? Um, because that, that stuff that takes, you know, full on into adulthood, I think for forever until you really deal with all of that. Um, so I, I don't know. I just like, I feel a lot of what you're saying because the insecurity and that, that overachieving thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with achieving, but it's kind of like really looking at why. And I'm curious, like what, what were your versions of overcompensating? Because I think women do it too. And it's, and even if we like, again, on very, in this very generalized gender stereotypical way, we're talking about like that girls are allowed to be more emotional for sure. Like in a generalized sense, that's been the bigger conversation, right? Girls are allowed to be emotional and talk about feelings and all that stuff. But I also think that that skews in a very toxic way too, or has historically mm-hmm, in like the other mm-hmm. direction. Um, so I think like, even it, like there's the, this trouble that you might've had feeling like I can't even talk to my boys about this because I can't, I can't have feelings. I can't talk about this shit with them. And then girls is like always talking about feelings, but like not knowing how to kind of rise above them sometimes or not mm-hmm. how to apply other tactics, I guess, other than, feeling boxed in like oh, I'm just this like emotional wreck and anyway, that could go into the whole of the rabbit hole but I'm curious like yeah back to my original question what was your what was your like overcompensating like how did that exist in your universe because you already just acknowledged like you you just like s- casually mentioned like you worked at the state house you said mm-hmm. so you, you okay I'm curious like what, what was this path <laughs> yeah I mean I think I've always been very uh achievement oriented also like i would literally test into like the ap classes just to prove that i could and then i wouldn't Mm -hmm. give a shit right like like and and now that i look back at it it was my priorities it wasn't that i didn't care about doing well in class or learning i've always been very curious about learning but i was more i was my why was all out of whack Mm -hmm. and and i i love that why like we there's so much of us that focus so much on the what and we don't focus on the why because we don't focus on the why we never figure we never fix and continuously do the what over and over and over again 
right. and then we, and then we we don't understand why things are the way they are. And so mm-hmm. and the way that I overcompensated was definitely in, you know, trying to be seen, be heard, speaking up, like always being super opinionated about things. And, you know, part of it was also like, I genuinely give a shit and I'm like genuinely passionate about things. And um, for me, I've, I've never been able to stay quiet when, when, injust- when injustice happens. And I think a lot of that also has to do with the fact that when I was younger and kids would say things that were racist to me, that no one ever took my side like mm-hmm. because granted i would beat I, I would punch him in the face so like i do have to you know get in trouble for punching people in the face but like yeah. there was never any recognition about what the kids that other kids did were wrong it was a fact right, that right. i punched them became the problem right like so, let's think about why this punch happened shall we <laughs> yeah and it's like look don't don't like let me off the hook but it's also like if if you like that went into like silencing me. Right. And, and then I realized like, as I've grown up, even in my, you know, the work that I do now, like I'm afraid of Karens. Like mm. I came to this realization that I am afraid of Karens. Um, mm. Like I posted, I got into, um, so I'm currently a master's student. Um, I, w- I was originally just getting my master's of public policy. I am now getting also my, ma- my MBA on top of that. And I posted um, about it. And part of it was like, was I bragging? Hell yeah, I was. But I was also mostly bragging for my mom because I know that there's a lot of Korean Americans who talked a lot of shit to my mom, um, that she was a single mom, that she was poor. Um, And it was not to like throw it in their face, but to show people like how you start. It doesn't matter how you start or where your circumstances were. It's more about your values and that if you stick to your values, you, 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 you understand who you are and do things for the right reason. Good, good results will happen. Mm-hmm. And that was really the, the purpose of why I posted it. But I had, um, I won't name who they were, but you know, these white women reach out to me and tell me that I should take it down saying that it was insensitive, um, to post about my scholarship. On the other hand, once I took it down, I had black women reach out to me and be like, why did you take it down? Yeah. Um, do you see what kind of message that you're sending to young people of color who don't think that they um, graduate school is even possible for them, let alone get a scholarship that they feel ostracized and, and that what you like, you are empowering them. Mm. And that was when I realized I said it out loud. I was like, Oh my God, I'm terrified of Karen's. What can you, can you elaborate on? Like, what about, why is that insensitive? Like, well, I didn't, re- I didn't read the actual post. Right. So I don't, I'm getting this all from like your experience. Yeah. Wh- why is that insensitive to people? <laughs> to their, to their point, you know, I have to acknowledge that, you know, there are people, people are struggling right now. Yes. People are having sure. a hard time. Um, and, and if there were other students who got into the MBA program, who didn't get as high of a scholarship as I did, like it can be painful to see that. Right. And, Yes. Um, and th- I took it down cause I was like, you know what? Like, it's not worth for, like for me to have this message if it's hurting people. Um, mm. and so to me, that cost benefit is not like, there's no benefit if someone, if there's a cost in terms of hurting people. So I took it down. Um, and I reposted it without the scholarship. Um, but it was, you know, kind of that policing of, um, you know, them not being able to check their privilege, but trying to check mine. Right. Like there's, I'm, I have so many thoughts on that. Like I see where they're coming from and I do, I, I, I myself 
for a number of different reasons, like have hesitated to share wins, like I call them wins, like just things that are happening good in life, right? Um, because the collective vibe is that there's this this collective struggle going on and and like, you know, people are losing jobs and they're hungry and like worrying about the next thing. So I understand that. And there is there's a certain EQ and a certain like execution, a way to execute that I think can be still sensitive to that. But like the, the, on the other side, there's like many thoughts, but... Also, like, really? If you, if you, I don't know, like, why should you not celebrate that? Like, personally, I, I stopped and checked my own ego and, like, why I would even think that. And I think, see, okay, so many thoughts happening right now. It's, I, I agree with you about the why. And then I, I also really, now as, like, a woman in, in my 30s, as, like, a grown woman, I, I care about the how. Right. I think that's what life experience continues to teach me now that I've mm. more identified what my why is and I have clarity on that and I've had that for a number of years. Um, and I stand stronger in that every day. Now I have to be more conscious and intentional about how I go about executing the why, because mm-hmm. like you're saying, there's a way to go about it, like whether it's to post your post without the scholarship or to just reword it. Like I'm, I'm in the entertainment industry, but I'm actually a bio and public health geek. So public policy, woo. Um, that's (laughs) my background. Yeah. So I'm very like, there's, there's like an AB testing to everything and there's, and I'm also a tech nerd. So there's like, you can iterate everything. There's drafts and versions and, um, optimizing that you can do about your, your approach. So I just don't feel like in essence, like when it comes down to it, I think it'd be great if you could just celebrate your win. If it's something great happening in your life, I, the the consequence of not doing that is like, what, we're just all going to sit in gloom and doom and like suffer. I understand there's like collective suffering, but I also like get inspired that people are still persevering through like this shitty moment. And if you're getting something dope that you earned and that you really care about and that you worked your butt off for, like getting a dope scholarship for like your grad program, I would personally find a lot of inspiration out of that. And be like, that's amazing. Like, kudos to you. Like, let me see how I can get out of this darker place that I might be in and like see how I can like push through and apply that same determination or diligence or whatever it is to my own life. So there's like, there's no clear right or wrong. There's no, and then it's just so funny that when it comes to the Karen thing, that they're so, the thing that like grinds my gears about what this white privilege manifests itself is like the freedom in which they feel entitled to like <laughs> to vocalize their opinion. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I go through like 18 and a half different filters before I even think about putting a lot of things out there in the world. But I feel like they go through maybe like a half filter. If that, that's how it feels right. Like yeah. they just start walking around telling you what's what and what you should and should not do. And I'm like, excuse you. Well, I'm it's sorry. Really, it's interesting because they, and I know that their intentionality is good, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I grew up with, I grew up with them. Like, their heart's yeah. in the right place, but it's yes. I think it's also they are blending a lot of different things and like not actually having like registered the fact that just because you see something and you learn about something doesn't mean you understand it. And it's recognizing the fact that like, at least with me, like I will never be a black like a black so i would never actually understand what it's like to be black yes like yeah. and even for you know for in the, in the context of between me and you like 
that I have certain privileges because I'm a six foot two Asian East Asian uh, dude. Mm-hmm. That there are privileges that I have of walk, you know, in life that that you you simply won't because you are a a woman. Like mm-hmm. in in a in a world that is still unequal and unjust, like that is a reality. I don't understand what it's like to, um, you know, I, there was like a TikTok trend going that was going around about covering your drinks. Like I don't really like. Not that it doesn't happen to men, but like to be honest, a lot of cis heteros, you know, straight men, like we don't think about that ever because we're the ones doing it. Right. Um, and I feel like with a lot of the Karens, it's like they just haven't thought about their own problematic behavior and are mm-hmm. immediately looking at everybody else. And then, and I feel like that's what I'm seeing a lot with, with white people is like, they still haven't done that self-reflection yet. They have right. done self-reflection on white people as a whole collectively, but not on an individual level. I think I, I, I yes, snaps to that. And, and I, I do also in, in terms of me being able to practice some level of like compassion and empathy, which to me matters a lot. Um, I understand that that's like, that's hard mm-hmm. for anybody. Also still got to do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, <laughs> and do it, you know? So, not sorry, but we all have to do it. And everybody's been doing it. So like, join us, won't you? Um, it's not going to be fun. I'm not going to front like it's going to be fun. It's it's going to suck. It's going to be super humbling. And like, you're going to have to eat shit, a lot of it, because you're going to be like, oh my God, I've been part of the problem. And even as a woman of color, as a little five foot one East Asian female, I've had my privileges too. You know, like I've, and it's just so funny because um, I'm really tight with my older brother, who is a grown Korean American man. And having lived my life, and I'm curious, like how your relationship with your sister is, like we've been able to uh, compare and contrast a lot by default, right? Like not even just like we're conversing about it, which we do a lot as adults, but just like growing up next to him, I lived the double standard of like, I'm a girl, he's a boy. I cannot do things. He can do certain things. I can get away with certain things. He cannot get away with certain things. Our punishments were different. Like our, our the parenting was different, right? For so many different reasons. And um, I feel very fortunate for that because it was just like a constant, again, data collection of like the injustice or inequality or what whatever we want to call it, right? Of of the disparity, right? There was definitely a disparity in our experiences. And now that we're adults, we're understanding more and more because, you know, we, we talk to each other about relationships. We talk to each other about our parents, our culture, like everything, how we've been influenced, why we are the way we are. Um, we're able to like reverse engineer that because we have all these reference points be like, oh, well, cause this and this and this happened. That has been so revealing to me about my own privilege, not mm. just like, I just appreciate so much that my brother has compassion to me and he's like, yeah, you are a girl and like you and your woman and like you've dealt with these different things. But I also recognize on the, you know, in the reverse, I've had a lot of privileges that he hasn't seeing how much he's hurt or the things that he's had to endure as an Asian man that I get pissed about. Like I'm not an Asian dude, but I get very super angry about how Asian men have been emasculated. Like that is so real. And that's why I... I mean, just for you to know that about me, this is like part of my agenda with wanting to be in this entertainment space, it's space, like wanting to, I care a lot about how these narratives are, are constructed and distributed and, and sold and popularized and turned into a mainstream conversation because that matters. 
It's not mm-hmm. just like, oh, I'm not an Asian man. I can't understand. Like, no, I've been watching it my whole life. Right. And I've seen the, and I've dealt with the consequences of Asian men not feeling seen or heard. Right. Yes. I've had to date them. I, they're my family. They are my friends. And like, you know, we're all, we're all learning from each other. So it, it spreads now, now that we're having self-awareness within our own selves and our own communities. Like it now goes to like our peers, our neighbors. And I think that white people coming into that conversation is going to, it's a bumpy situation, but I'm just happy that it's happening. Like, fine. It's awkward (laughs) and fine. You feel really weird and like angry or sad or whatever, but I'm just glad it's happening. That's like my current takeaway. And I'm real talk. There's part of me that's taking a little bit of satisfaction and like, now you get a sense of like how it feels to have to adjust to other people. Yeah, oh. no, I'm with that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And and the whole like angry Asian man, the emasculation of it, like it is really real. And I try to like I'm trying so hard to reach out to as many young Asian American men and getting mm-hmm. them to realize like all the toxicity that we've had to deal with and that we've um just suppressed. But then also like how like the narratives are starting to change. But like we immediately went from, you know, you know, I don't know, not being seen and heard to like Kevin Nguyen, right? Like, mm-hmm. like the, the Asian fuckboy. Like I'm like, how, like that's how you know <laughs> that you've never had any power before is when you when you clearly show that you can't handle it, right? And like that's mm. what it, it's like. Whew. The way we treat our like women or like the way that like our internalized racism is now coming out are like our homophobia, our our insecurities, like a lot of these, like, you know, 20, 30 year old men that are like API, like that are now like women are like, Oh, like you're actually like good looking. Like I didn't really, like now that you take the lens off of society telling you that we're all ugly and that we're all like what, you know, like these when the, not to say that that's bad either. I want to be clear, like the standards of like, you know, masculinity, um, are bullshit, right? Like, Mm -hmm. um, but also like the fact that all of a sudden women are now like coming and, and appreciating us. And now we like, feel like we have to make up for all the times we couldn't be a fuck boy because like, now it's so stupid. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it, it, to me, it's like, it's not about how many women you can quote unquote, like conquer, which is such a asinine and like, try like, like caveman way of thinking. Cause you have no mm-hmm. idea what kind of damage you're do- inflicting on your, on the women and also yourself. Yeah. Um, but it's like, instead of like looking, why don't you work on yourself? And the more you work on yourself, the more you, the more you rid yourself of your toxicity, the better people you're just going to attract into your life in general. Um, 100%. And, and I don't, and, and that's what I'm trying to explain to them is like, I know that you've been shit on your whole life. I know that no one, no one has valued you your whole life, but like, if you don't start to actually learn to see and value yourself in the way that you should in a healthy way, that's never going to change no matter how yeah. much initial, um, attention you receive. And it's like, okay, you're now, people right. now think you're good looking. All that does is it gets you more, more tickets to the show. Doesn't mean you get to stay the whole time. Doesn't mean you get to leave satisfied. Like, it just means that you get more opportunity, but it doesn't actually mean that you, you quote unquote, get what you want in terms of happiness. Sam, when are you starting your podcast? Cause I want to subscribe to it. Can it be like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have one. 
Uh, okay. Actually, this is so how I ignorant have... I am to my guest. I'm so sorry. No, all good. It's because it's technically not only my my podcast. Uh-huh. It is um, with the I Am Not a Virus campaign. Mm. And, and so it's called the hashtag I Am Podcast. And I have a co-host. And the majority of our shows are actually where we're interviewing interviewing people and we allow them to be themselves so i saw that on your instagram i thought that was a show that you were guest on so i apologize i did see that i didn't know that it was your show which is dope and we'll please continue to plug that i think your co-host i was part of a of a series of conversations for quirktastic he looks really familiar um but Quirktastic is like the the geek community. And it was uh, a conversation early on when all the Black Lives Matter, the everything that was happening. When, when the hell was that? June? May? Mm-hmm. Um, having some really good conversations between the Black and Asian community. I think he was part of that. And I, mod- I was, yeah, I was a moderator for one of those. So anyway, that's dope. I will definitely check this out and we'll, we'll definitely continue to plug it. Um, but I, I just I just want to just take a second to applaud and appreciate this conversation that we're having, because as much as it might feel for me, I feel very, very, again, just privileged or very lucky and fortunate that I get to have very enlightening, very deep conversations about toxicity, about self-awareness, about radical responsibility, about like owning your own shit and like not expecting it from other people. When I when I share these thoughts, the lot of, there's still a lot of feedback that a lot of people have not had those kinds of conversations in their world, mm-hmm. right? They haven't um, been asked that of them. And so I just really want to appreciate the fact that you're going out there and having that having that with me and then having those um, continuously out in your universe because it will continue to spread. I think once people get wind of it and feel that, it's really like I'm very big on the feelings because I think that's we are emotional creatures. Mm-hmm. And as much as we can intellectually understand that something is good for us or quote unquote, something we should do, we don't, we don't care until we care. When we yeah. care, that's when things happen. You know what I mean? And we care for a lot of different reasons, but just knowing things is not always, this. it's only a fraction of the the solution, if you will. Like knowing something can only take you so far, but the fact that you're really putting your heart and soul into it and making it your mission and like you're the genuine, um, message and I don't know, like a liberation of sorts, if you will. That's what I think is going to really stick with people and make them go like, oh, damn, let me think about that. Like, oh, I feel that. I know what that that anger is. I know what that uh, that self-deprecating feeling, that feeling of powerlessness is. That's what they'll resonate with. And that's will be, I think, a really huge impetus in being like, okay, let's do something about that. Um, for sure. For sure. So kudos to you. I want to get back to so, and and to tie it back in because none of this is not related. I just want to acknowledge. Um, so with this like this overcompensating, you're like a really uh, achievement oriented kid in school. Apparently, so how did and and we went to your MBA. Where where did what did you do for undergrad and like and then how did you get into working in politics? That's I want to close this gap because I'm so I'm so curious. Yeah. So I, I studied. Uh, I was a, I, I basically went to college to play baseball. Like that was really like why I went to college. Okay. Um, I originally wanted to be a professional baseball player. I delusional, I was never good enough. Uh, didn't know the things I need to know. Uh, you know, and so, but at the end of the day, I was good enough to play college baseball. 
um, and I studied history. And I was really, really fortunate that one of my professors was the son of Michael Thalwell, who wrote Stokely Carmichael's autobiography and was with Stokely, one of Stokely Carmichael's best friends. And my advisor went to high school with Stokely Carmichael. And for those and who people who that? don't Sorry. <laughs> so Stokely Carmichael or Kwame Torre um, is one of the, the most important civil rights activists. He coined black power and wow. um, just an incredibly, incredibly powerful thinker, mind activist. Um, and basically like I was always very interested in learning about civil rights history and black history, which mm showed me, you know, I started learning about power. I started learning about the true history of this country. I started unlearning uh, the romanticism that we have been basically propagating to young minds across the country about mm. the American dream, about how this is the greatest country in the world. While I, I do still believe that it has capacity to do so, I think that's really important. I think we do have the capacity to be the greatest country in the world. I just don't think that we're there. Right. But that, But that was also how I was like, how can I make the biggest impact? And I'd always been interested in politics. Um, you know, ever since I was a little kid, like I remember arguing with my dad about um, the Bush-Gore election. Like I was pro-Gore and he was pro-Bush. Mm. Um, I was like, dad, like we need to save the earth. And my dad was like, <laughs> the, the, but the economy, like, you know. <laughs> uh, so That's like, amazing. Yeah, I was always like that. And and then we get to college and there were two people in particular. Uh, a young backbench senator by the name of Barack Hussein Obama mm -hmm. and a Harvard law professor by the name of Elizabeth Warren. And think of her they again. really inspired me to get into politics. And Elizabeth Warren was actually the first person who I ever got involved in politics for. Um, when I was 20 and I, I, uh, volunteered for her campaign. My mm -hmm. mom was canvassed for president Obama twice. Um, and then, so then, uh, you know, I was like, this is it. I, I realized that like, like, you know, between those two figures, like I was like, this is the path for me. And so I interned for, um, at the state house and for a state rep by the name of Kay Khan, who is a wonderful, wonderful person. Um, she is basically the reason why I, I chose to try to intern for her was because a, she, she represents the district that I live in, but also because she had been fighting for a, uh, train stop to become handicap accessible for the past at that point, 15 years and now 23 years, mm -hmm. uh, or 20, 20 plus years. Um, and I was like, for, if someone cares that much about an issue that nobody else seemingly cares about and is willing to fight for that long, then I can learn from yeah. this person. Wow. Um, and so I interned for her and on my second day of my internship, she had a meeting with the speaker. So the one thing about me is I'm always about preparing for the moment. Like you never know what's going to happen. So you always put, you always prepare yourself by learning who is who. Cause like when I was a kid, my mom was like, we don't have any money. We don't have any connections, but that's something you can build on yourself as you can, you can prepare yourself for those moments to make those connections later on. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And cause you know, in Korea, it's all about like either money or who, you know, like, right. Um, and so she instilled that within me. So I was able to 
meet the speaker. So I'm running up there. I'm like sweating, trying to fix my, my suit jacket. Like, um, and I walk in through the doors. It's this really heavy wooden door. And the woman who's there who, who greets everyone, uh, the receptionist is, is Maddie Miles. Maddie Miles has been there for three speakers, been over, working for over 20 years. And she is now like a mother, you know, a second mother to me. But she like stops me and goes, young man, young, like stop right there. Like, I'm like, excuse me. She goes, first of all, calm down. The speaker's <laughs> waiting for you. It's going to be okay. Fix your tie. Like, and she hands me a napkin. She's like, you know, take that, take that sweat off your brow. Like, and then, and then she goes, it's going to be okay. Now walk in. And so I sit and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm at that point, I'm feeling way better. I feel comforted. And I yeah. walk in and I always try to scan the room. I always scan the room, try to like, just pick up on anything, right? Like how much information can I gather as quickly as possible? Right. And I sit down and he like leans over and he goes, so what's your deal? And I noticed that there was a baseball on his desk. And I said to him, oh, I go to Allegheny College and, I, and I'm a baseball player. Eyes lit up like a Christmas tree. We talked <laughs> about baseball for the next 30 minutes. Nice. And, and uh, every single time I, I would see him, I would walk up, walk up to him. I wouldn't take up too much of his time. Like, Mr. Speaker, I know you're really busy. I just wanted to reintroduce myself. My name is Sam Hyun. Uh, and it's really, really nice to see you. He remembered that. End of the summer, he started inviting me to events with him. And then nice. I would, and then every time I was home from school break, we would meet. And then my last meeting with him, I, I said to him, I said, Mr. Speaker, it would be an honor and a privilege to work for you. Um, I'm a kid that comes from nothing. I don't have any connections in, the, in, in this world, but this is a unique opportunity that I know I can't pass up. And I know that I'm going to be able to learn, but here's how I can help you. I can help you by dedicating myself. Right. So I, I basically like just went in and I very clearly showed him like how I can be of use to him. Um, yeah, not just how he's used to me. Yeah. And, and, so, and so when I graduated, um, he, you know, the idea was uh, the plan was for me to work for him. That couldn't happen for six months. He actually, oh, for a year, he called me and was like, Hey, I can't offer you this job right now. Hold on tight. And this kind of happened for a couple of weeks. Um, and then after a couple of weeks passed, I was like, you know what? I can't sit around anymore. So I ended up working for my friend's mom's uh, restaurant where I had to eat a lot of humble pie because I was now serving chicken to the very people who I had just bragged to that I was going to be working for the speaker of the house. Yeah. <laughs> and so now I'm working minimum wage while my friends are coming in and getting their food uh, served to them by me going mm -hmm. to their fancy jobs. Um, mm -hmm. And so I spent, of course, the dumbass that I was, every paycheck I got went to the clubs and blew it like because I was pissed. Mm. Um, and then after six months, I was like, I, you know, the, a, my friend's mom and also the employees, um, who were all undocumented, they were like, you shouldn't be here. And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, you guys are my family. Like what I'm not. And at that point, I'm like, I'm not too good to work a minimum wage job. I'm like, cause I had already gone through that cycle of like, who the fuck do you think you are thinking you're too good to be here? Right. Um, right. And cause like I started to talk to them and get to know them and my Spanish was getting better. And, um, they were telling me their stories and I, you know, just went through this whole like learning curve. And then, but one day they sat me down and they were like, leave. And they're like, this is not for you. Like we're here to, you know, potentially give our children a better life. And we see you like a little brother, like you need to go and do your thing, like leave. And so I ended up taking a job at a tech startup uh, doing sales, which I hated again because I don't, I didn't like cold calling, not realizing 
how important cold calling is to politics. Yep. Yep. (laughs) I was going to say, I was like, it's probably like a key component for your entire future. But yep, it takes you where you're supposed to go. I love it. And then so six months into that job, the speaker calls me, offers me a job, offers me a position. And I put in my two weeks and the rest is history. Because you're ready, Sam. Yes. You're ready. You, exactly. you got prepared. Man, there's yeah, there's so much there. Uh-huh. If I had gotten that job right out of school, um, the way I was supposed to, yeah, I probably would have got fired. Hell yeah. That's, I mean, that, I, I keep getting whacked in the head, not in a bad way, like just reminded repeatedly how many things that I, I've had so much like, uh, just like burning desire for like, oh, I just want this. And like, if I just got that and I just want to be a director and I just want to do this and I just want to work with these people. I'm like, the more I I get mature and I'm hopefully wiser, I'm just like, I wasn't ready for that, nor am mm-hmm. I ready now, but I'm getting ready to be ready. You know what I mean? And I think that, I, I think personally, like my philosophy that I've learned is that it applies to like everything else, just job and career, but definitely to like relationships romantic friendship whatever like we're learning how to be better people all the time and if you Mm -hmm. like i mean i'm talking i'm in my 30s and i'm single and like my fellow single women we we commiserate or just like talk about relationships a lot with each other but like by learning who the hell we are and learning why we entertain certain relationships for so long and understanding how we didn't have boundaries or how we didn't have certain like childhood traumas that were you know, pervasive in everything that we're doing. It's just clear and clear to me, like those things need to be reconciled before you enter into a serious relationship with another person. Right. And, and so there's, there's no use. It's very backwards to think like, Oh, if I just get this thing, then everything will write itself. It's like, no, you got to get right. And then you're ready for that. The next thing. That's how you can, can take on the next job, whatever that may be, whatever that title is. Um, Why can I agree with that more? So it's it's just very vital. And that, that's, I think, man, I feel like we're, we're help. I hope, I hope that we're helping a lot of people connect some dots. Cause I feel like I'm reconnecting dots right now in terms of this moment that we're at. Um, cause I do want to bring it full circle. And I'm really like, Sam, I hope that like we continue to, to, I don't know, figure out a way to collaborate with one another. I want to figure out how I can support you because I feel like I've met somebody who's really on the path to like do something significant. So I just, I'm putting that out there. I say all the things I think and believe <laughs> as soon as, as just as soon as I think and feel them, um, because I used to not, and that kicked me in my butt by keeping quiet for so long. And that's related yeah. to what I think is what brought us to have this conversation is this moment in time has never been more significant. I think each moment that we're present in is, is, a foundation for the next, right? And we have had a lot of history and a lot of activism and a lot of uh, blood, sweat, and tears that went into bringing you and me to be in this moment, having this conversation right here, right now. Um, This moment to me, I'm recognizing how much I've shied away from exercising my voice. And even for someone that I've like self-identified as such an opinionated person that I, I was kind of like, I was a leadership geek in high school, I had like hall monitor tendencies. I talked to the asshole white bro who wouldn't pick up his trash 
you know, this is at my privilege. No, my high school was dope, but there were privileged people there for sure. And he was one of these assholes who like left his trash out on the, the table. And I walked mm. up to him and was like, throw away your trash. Like it's right there. Go throw away your garbage. And he looked at me. He was like, well, that's what they're for. And he like pointed at oh our janitors. And I wanted to, I, he's like at least a foot taller than me. I'm a small person, but I wanted to fucking punch him in his face. Um, and I was really close to you, but I didn't because again, I'm the leadership geek. But that was one of those key moments that's like, burned in my brain ever of like you are everything that's wrong with society and because of you we need to do better like we all need to do better so that you don't walk nobody walks around thinking this way or behaving this way that is disgusting that's some nasty entitled horrific bullshit so anyway like these are little milestones that have taught me like what it is that I want to do in the world and that is like exercising my voice and speaking up and hopefully allowing other people to exercise theirs in a healthy way. Um, And what brought us together to be in the same universe was the census, right? Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that much about all this stuff. And I just got, I sensed, even not knowing your background and not knowing your resume or what you're studying right now, that you care deeply about it and that you're very knowledgeable to a large degree that I'm not. And so in, you know, we're getting close to the end of this this particular episode and this conversation. (laughs) Can you... Just school us all, please, because I think that I've learned so much more how relevant it is, how important it is, why people need to give a shit about filling out the census, voting. But there's, I know for a fact that there's so many people who still don't care for a number right. of reasons. So can you just school us all, Sam? Can you just lay yeah. it all out? <laughs> First of all, like, you know, I'm definitely not expert on all things but i would definitely try to make this as simple as possible very simply put it comes down to power and whether Mm -hmm. you're a republican democrat you're a democratic socialist or a you know far right alt-right conservative what it really all comes down to is power and what the census does is it helps allocate resources which again contributes into power and Mm -hmm. there's a reason why people don't want you to fill out the census for, for conservatives, they don't want you to fill out the census because the, they, they believe, like true conservatism believes in smaller government, which means less government spending, you know, less uh, inter- government intervention into your life. And so the less, more people that, that fill out the census, that means more representation goes out there, more government resources have to be spent because that's mm-hmm. what the census does. Mm-hmm. And, and that's also tied into voting and all of that is that it's not necessarily like a nefarious, you know, this like back room smoky, which does happen, but what it really comes down to is distribution of power mm-hmm. and how that power is spent. So one way for people, you know, the average American, uh, whether, or even if you're not American, if you are an, an immigrant here, one way for you to take back power and to see a more evenly distributed uh evenly distributed amount of resources to increase power is by filling out the census. Now, the census is also the, the most heavily protected set data set in the, within the federal government. And so you don't have to worry uh, about it being used against you. And But I also do understand where people are coming from because a lot of particularly immigrants, they come from countries where data and information about them has been held against them and used against them. And at times also cost dear loved ones, dear loved ones, their lives. So 
I think when people are talking and out of frustration about why people of color and immigrants don't fill out the census is because they're not recognizing the fact that there is a lot of pain and trauma behind people who don't fill it out because that um, data has been used against them. Uh, So you have to, first of all, validate and recognize their pain. Secondly, people don't understand either is that um, the, the differences between the way the federal, state and local governments work. And so with the federal government, the federal government can run a budget deficit, which means that uh, even they can spend more uh, than the amount of tax revenue that they generate. There's mm-hmm. nothing that, 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 that's why we have a budget deficit. That's why, you know, you, you hear Republicans talk all the time about uh, how we need to cut deficit spending, how we need to, uh, how we owe so much money to China. But then, you know, obviously they don't give a shit that much when they continuously spend, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars on, on the military, but you know, that's a conversation for another day. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, with a lot of state governments, particularly, let's say Massachusetts are constitutionally bound to balance their budget, meaning you can only spend as much ta- um, money on your, on your state budget as you are allocated uh, through tax revenue that you generate per year. So mm-hmm. for Massachusetts, over 40% um, and growing of the state budget goes to mass health, which is basically what was uh, the precursor um, and the the uh, original plan for the ACA, which is also known as Obamacare. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Massachusetts, that's 60% of the budget that's left. And a lot of the problem that's happening right now with especially COVID related with um, PPP and, and just, you know, just general funds that, that communities of color desperately need and Mm -hmm. immigrant communities desperately need is that there's just simply not enough money. Right. So we, when Massachusetts cannot spend above the budget and also there's about to be at minimum a $6 billion windfall meeting that, you know, let's say we, we were projecting to have $50 billion. We're going to have $44 billion to spend. So some money has to be cut somewhere, but another one of the things that they have to also deal with right now is, is an eviction moratorium. So for that meeting is, Right now, they put a freeze on people from being evicted, but that costs money. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to extend it because right now we're about to see another wave of people who are going to be evicted if, if the moratorium doesn't get extended, which means that's more money from the budget that we already have to go um, put into. And the rainy day fund is around, I believe, three or four billion. But that goes in the blink of an eye, um, especially during a pandemic, which means mm-hmm. Massachusetts is in desperate need of federal funding. Now, federal funding is also contingent on on the census data. The more people that are counted in Massachusetts, the more federal funding we're able to to procure, which means Mm -hmm. that the people who are impacted the most aren't the ones who are wealthy because they can stave off and and weather the storm, but it is the people who are not filling out the census, which is oftentimes people of color and communities of color. Furthermore, New York, New York, uh, the city of New York lost a, a member of Congress because not enough people filled out the census. And because not enough people fill out the census, the, the, the districts are drawn up based off how many people are within the district. And so if, if it seems that uh, like enough people moved out of New York City, then they can dr- cut up the map so that New York loses a member of Congress and somewhere else, some some other part of the country gets it, and they can actually move the map so that, let's say, you know, at that point, I believe the speaker was a Republican when this happened, and so that means another Republican district is now circled up. 
right? So that mm-hmm, means more mm-hmm. power going to the Republican Party, less to the Democratic Party. Um, but also, if it, even if a Republican or Democrat, that is one less person that is going to Congress fighting to get you more resources into your district. Because what people also have to remember is that members of Congress, their number one priority is is taking care of their district, the people within um, who they serve and who are, who they were elected by. So the more mm-hmm. people you have in Congress, the more people you have fighting for you, the more more resources are coming into your district. So by not filling up census, you're not only um, not getting federal funding from that from the angle of of being using census data, but you're not getting money because you, if you lose a uh, member of Congress, and that is one less person that's fighting for you. So that's that's kind of a a double whammy in terms of losing funding, which means that. And the people, like for instance, like in Chinatown, right in in New York, like they're they're ravaged and completely uh, suffering. Um, so you know, granted, like you know, a lot of the social movements of trying to raise money for that is great. Like ten thousand, that's amazing. Not trying to mm-hmm. not trying not trying to put that down, but compare that to hundreds of millions, billions, of, trillions yeah. of dollars. That's right. that's not even a drop in the bucket. Right. So I think it's just like a strategy move because you have to figure out where can you make, like you're saying, biggest impact, right? What What is the mechanism that creates the biggest, what can you leverage and what can you, because this is what I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping my head around because I've been very like community focused. Like if you're going to put in all this energy, but it's only going to yield you like your ROI, right, is, is $10,000. Great. $10,000 is amazing. It's not a small amount of money. But if you're going to yield, if you're going to put in even comparatively speaking, the census is like far less effort in terms of what it's required of you. It's honestly five minutes. I took like less than 10 minutes and I was distracted mm-hmm. when I did it. It took me less than 10 minutes to fill out online. I didn't have to go anywhere. Like I didn't even have to have my number from my postcard. I could just like search myself through my own address. So it was like super, super easy. And like the ROI on that is like impacting potentially this way, like more gigantic uh, distribution of funds that are there that I'm also paying into. And this is also my recognition as a taxpayer, like just connecting those dots. It didn't register to me. And this is where I'm like sitting, scratching my head, like how much things didn't matter to me until really recently. Right. And Mm -hmm. I'm in my mid thirties. So I've been in this whole like adulting situation for quite a while now. Right. It's not lost on me that I've been, I've been working since I was like 15. Whenever I was legally allowed to, um, I've been working, you know, I know what it is to like make a dollar to owe taxes, things like that. But I never cared nor understood where that money was going. It was just some like invisible chunk of money that got taken away out of every paycheck. And it pissed me off, but I really was just focused on what I got and whatever shiny thing I wanted to buy with it. Right. And so it's just, as a storyteller for me, I really care, like, what is the thing that's going to help answer the the question in terms of our effort of messaging because i think that messaging really really matters because some people just it's like a it's like a it maybe even thinking about like in terms like delayed gratitude some people are just going to go for the thing that's quickest and closest which is a lot of what we're stereotypically assigned as our generation that i just want it now like i don't care (laughs) i don't Mm want to wait mm -hmm. and you don't think about long term until you're older and you recognize oh wow shit 10 years passed really fast and the consequences of those 10 years really impacted my life that becomes more directly impactful as you get older, right? And when you're 18 and you're like a new voter and you have the ability to make this kind of contribution, you don't know those impacts. You don't understand those ripple effects. So that's where I'm just sitting here on my podcast in my little corner of Los Angeles, like wondering, 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 how do we, how do we make the biggest impact? What are, what's the most strategic 
what's the best way to execute? You know, how do we do this so that you're not just spewing stats that maybe don't register with the average person? You know what yep. I'm saying? Like, they just like, well, okay, that sucks. Like, I just don't get a representative in Congress. Like, mm, sucks for me. Like, they really aren't going to, it's not going to, you know what I'm saying? Like, the, what I said oh, yeah, earlier about it, they don't feel it. Yeah, they don't care. Because they're like, No, because well, they're disenfranchised. You know, right. You, you've never been valued. You've never been heard. No one's ever knocked on your door. No member of Congress has actually come into, your, into the projects. Like, you know, so you're like, this, this person doesn't care about me. There was a there's a reverend named Jerry Brown in Boston, um, and and he made monumental impact in the community. And, and the way that he did it was every night, every Friday, Saturday night from nine to like two in the morning, him and a bunch of clergy members would walk through the most um, dangerous parts of Boston at the time. Mm-hmm. And they did it every night, no cameras, every weekend. And after a while, the 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 members of the community, especially the ones who were gang affiliated, they started coming out and talking to him mm. and they were waiting for them to keep showing up. Like, why are you co- showing up? Why do you care? Like, you know, then because every, every time people come into those neighborhoods, they say, I care, I'm going to do mm-hmm. something for you, but there's always a camera crew right around the corner. Right. Mm. There's always like a promise that's always gets broken. And so to the people who are apprehensive and don't and mistrustful of the government totally understand, of course, like, right. You know, the, the incentives have clearly been shown that it's not about you. It's about them. Right. So what it's it comes posturing. down to, post, absolutely, is messaging is absolutely important. Instead of talking at people, we need to listen and talk with people. And mm-hmm. one of the things, like, as someone who identifies as a progressive, as a, you know, as a Democrat, like, I get so frustrated is that is it's so everyone is so fixated on ideology like pure, like purity of ideology that they don't realize that their messaging and their behavior and understanding of power is so out of whack. And that's why people don't care. It's mm-hmm. of course people want um, uh, free college. Of course people want universal health care. But when you're speaking in a language that, um, and you're talking at people and you're not making it more inclusive and you're having this like kind of like purity test, you're not going to get people to buy in. Especially for people who who what they're what they're concerned about is is um, is how do you how do you actually give myself opportunity? How can I put food on my table? How can I uh, you know keep keep gentrification from happening? Like um, mm-hmm. you know if you're talking about the more rural parts of America, like you know the kind of like the the mill towns, like how do you bring their sense of of value and their sense of uh, of pride back that they lost? Um, mm-hmm. And people don't realize like that Bernie wasn't talking to that. That's why he lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I think that's overall the general sense of like you know with communities of color too, like especially like API. Like one of the things I got yelled at for was I, I even though I didn't grow up privileged, I spoke like a privileged a- Asian. Mm. And there are a lot uh, as a commissioner, as an Asian American commissioner. One of the things I got yelled at for by. Um, you know, more less affluent members of the community was like, you don't speak for me because you like, and, and I, and what, what I realized from that was like, it wasn't the fact that I didn't have the capacity to, that I wasn't allowed to. It was mm-hmm. a fact that I literally was not speaking to their issues. Right. Um, and so I think that's where it comes down to is like, when like we're trying to like blanketly speak for everybody when it's so much more nuanced than that, we're not, and we talk about messaging and messaging is of course absolutely important, but it's also like 
amplifying the voices rather than like talking to them. If if that, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, it does. And I, <laughs> I'm like checking myself so much. I had a, I had a really interesting conversation with some academics and this was my, my gripe with them, my plea. Um, I, per, I, I was lucky enough to be invited to speak at Google on campus for their APAM month. Right. And I, uh, I had worked as an advisor on crazy rich Asians. So they wanted to weave that in because it really was as, as much as people can shit all over Hollywood, which I totally get. And I do it myself all the time. As much as you want to like shit on Hollywood, it is a very, very, very powerful source yes. of influence. So if you're going to discount that or act like it's irrelevant, you're just out of your mind. Like if you don't like it, that's different. That's just, it's foolish. Right. So, um, and that was my approach. I wasn't like, cause I watched directly, like how much crazy rich Asians impacted the APA community, whether you liked it or not, whether you liked the movie or not, whether you thought it was like the irrelevant, right. It impacted our community a lot. It gave us visibility. It gave us a lot of, um, green lights in an industry that was like, had deemed us irrelevant. I was fighting that for the last 11 years, like fighting for relevance and nobody gave a shit. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, where's the next Crazy Rich Asians? Who's the next John Chu and XYZ? And um, as 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 salty as I felt at certain times about like, oh, this is what it took, you still got to like, again, take your wins when you can and see and make the positive out of it because there was a lot of positive. And talking about this at Google, again, it's like the text fan. I grew up in Silicon Valley. I understand like there's a different environment, a different culture, a different mindset where it's very different than the entertainment sphere that I'm currently operating in, right? And then at the, the panel, there was like this really wonderful Asian American studies professor who was so freaking like smart Clearly, everything that came out of it, his mouth was like, it was, it was money in terms of like its substance and its intelligence. But I didn't want to hear anything he said. That was a tough part for me. Mm. Because in, in essence, I want to know everything. He knows way more than me. He's the guy who teaches this stuff, right? But it was, again, the how. It was the execution. It was the messaging, the, the vocabulary, the tone. Like, I just didn't really want to hear it. And so I, I, I checked that even during this conversation. I was like, Minji, you, you're not here to combat with people on the panel. We're here to talk about Asian representation. And you're here to, like, contribute to a conversation. So he and I actually kind of duked it out a tiny bit, not in a hostile way. But he, he was basically kind of, like, shitting on Hollywood, which, again, I understand. But... um not but and I recognize that he's like we just need a vote and we need to da, 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 da. we need to be more civically engaged and I was like I want ho- because I'm sitting here representing quote unquote Hollywood Asian American Hollywood doesn't mean that what you're saying is irrelevant to me I'm completely on board with you and if you look at me and like you feel that we're not on the same team this was something's really wrong. And I was also saying, and also you saying like everyone needs to get off their phones and like get out there. No one's getting off their phones. I was like, it's not going to happen. So since everybody's on their phones, then we need to like be in front of them on their phones. You know what I mean? Like yep. that, I was just like, I but was counting this. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? Was, like, but that's what I, that's what like, I get frustrated with. Like the activists is like, they, they don't want to recognize that they're mad that they're not getting the shine and the credit um and that all of a sudden like china mac or all of a sudden like these hollywood you know people in hollywood who have these massive platforms and reach and they have it because they know how to communicate to people Mm -hmm. 
um, they they get mad that they're getting the credit for it, and they don't want to admit it. But like honestly, what what other reason are you mad for? Right, right, right. Like, and mad? so now, granted, <laughs> granted, mm-hmm. my criticism to all the people in Hollywood, to all the people who are you know all the Asians you know that are now getting a bunch of a uh, bunch of cl- have a, have clout or getting more clout for speaking up about Asians, is stop taking all the damn credit for it and yes. start. And start lifting up the activist voices who have been speaking, all the academics who you fucking learn from, and and stop making it about you. Now, mm. if you're in Hollywood, that's very hard for people to do because that is like literally the name of the game, right? Like I get that. But mm-hmm. that's where like with the API community, I get really frustrated is like we, you know, hop on these like not even D-list a- Asian American celebrities who like all of a sudden after 35 years has a, some semblance of courage and we lift them up like they're Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, nah, where the hell was this dude like 10 years ago? Like, you know, when all this was happening before, like mm-hmm. you're going to tell me that he didn't know that, like that Hollywood was racist against Asian Americans that Hollywood, like you're going to tell like, no, you played the game admit, the, and it's okay to say that you played the game in order exactly. to, just but say like I I played the game I played the game I played the, yeah. the you know I played into white privilege you know my closer proximity to white privilege in order to get closer to power in order for me to get a platform in order for me to get all these opportunities but guess what now I'm flipping the script mm-hmm. um I you know I've called out my boss publicly that was hard he's like a father figure to me mm-hmm. um but it I think that's what it comes down to is like. We we're not having the uncomfortable conversations within the API community, and I, and, yeah. and there's just a clashing of egos right now. It's it's a I, I've witnessed this in spades of just like everybody scrambling for a slice of the pie, and I'm just like I'm over I've been over it, but then also full disclosure like i've also had to play that game it is political wherever you go whether you're like in politics as a as a you know as that world or not, everything's political. Oh, yeah. There's po- there's different levels of power and everybody knows that. And you're going to like cater to it. You're going to counter it. You're going to rebel against it. You're going to assume it. It's There's a lot of power distribution that you're always navigating, no matter what arena you're in. And I had to learn my place. I had to figure out what my, my role was, what my levers were, and also recognize in hindsight what levers I didn't pull that I had at my disposal. I just didn't see it at the time. There's a lot of that happening. And so I think that's all kind of collectively given me a lot more courage at this point to speak more openly. Whereas before, because we're operating in this, like, I'm just a small little kid. I don't know what to say. I don't know who's going to listen to me. I did keep silent a lot. And I kept Mm -hmm. things to myself. On the silver lining side, it, I learned a lot because I was quiet and I was observing. Because there, there's, again, you can, you can, there's, again, no black or white, like good or bad. There's, there's an advantage and disadvantage to every situation. However, again, bringing it back to the present moment, this is where stakes are high. Um, we can't pretend like it's not like, again, your opinion can be your opinion, whether you like it or not. That's a whole other thing too. But to me, it's just kind of like facts. Stakes are high. There's a lot at stake if we don't get involved if we don't exercise our voice and our rights i understand that people are scared too and i want to i want to learn all that i'm recognizing how ignorant i've been in my own life like there was another census 10 years ago that i didn't participate in. i sure as hell did not fill out a survey <laughs> 10 years ago like this whole thing that i'm recognizing happens only once every 10 years and dictates where like a trillion dollars is going to be spent i did not know nor care about that 
in my twenties. Um, right. I'm trying to wonder and understand why. Right. I and I, I want to be clear about that. There's a lot of people out there right now that are on this like moral high grounds. Like all of a sudden you learned your eyes are open or wide open. And you're like, Oh my God, there's racism. Oh my God. <laughs> like there's something called the census and you learned it. And because you learned it, it's like, Oh, I have this like, you know, like moral superiority or intellectual superiority. Now Ah, I know something more, something that you do not, you know? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so they're sitting there, you know, on their high horse and this is something that's you know for api like obviously like you know it's been taught to we've seen this all our lives particularly koreans right like you know there's oh, kind of like yeah. there's like finger wagging like mm, you know yeah. Appa, Appa knows this that you don't know right and like yeah they get it from their dad and like you know um and so we're doing that to other api folks instead of calling them in we're sitting there like why aren't you filling out the census you ignorant fool like it's like nah you sound like a you sound like a stuck up piece of shit um and b mm-hmm. you're not helping anybody so like why don't you go fill it out first and then you go and, and sit down with somebody else and fill it out right like right um and so it's come from a place of like i'm just trying to help out man like i i did not know five minutes ago i did not know how important it was now i know yes. it's important and because of that i want to talk to you about it period keep it simple it doesn't have to be like yo what's wrong with you like that's right I was like, I'm talking to my dad right now again. And like, it all comes back to that. But uh, this is why I I love that we're talking about the why, because I feel like I'm learning that through you, like with the facts, the data, the stats, the distribution, um, the impact, the long term, long, like truly it does impact our daily lives. These these Mm -hmm. dollars, I'll tell you from like so many facets of my life that I had no idea. I had no idea how much, you know, beds right now, even in COVID, like beds in hospitals are allocated from this. From an industry side, Hollywood, like they look at census data because they're like, Mm -hmm. oh, how many Asian people are in the United States? And like, A, that also, I want to speak to that. Like, why do you think making a movie with Asian people that only Asian people are going to watch it? Which why the whole Crazy Rich Asians thing was so significant because hell of people who are not Asian watched that too and they liked it, you know? Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, we can make things that are culturally specific and it's not only going to be that particular demographic that goes to the theater to watch it. Who knew? It's like, yo, this has been happening since the beginning of time, but whatever whatever makes you feel better about yourself. Um Anyway, I digress, but it's just like so many, so many people rely on these numbers to make all sorts of kinds of decisions. Right. And it's also um, like the potholes, right? Um, Yes. Construction, like actually like funding public programs so that we can actually fix our damn highways. Right. Like Mm -hmm. so that Mm -hmm. we can like, you know, in L.A., people in L.A., you guys hate the traffic on the freeway. Right. Like how about you actually get some federal funding to be able to have a massive infrastructure um, program? So that we can actually fix the the roads and the highways, so that you know we can maybe even think about moving into, um, you know, completely resurrecting our transit program, so we can have high speed rail. Like, right? Huh, all you want, you you care about the green new deal, you care about carbon emission, you care about the environment. Okay, so why don't we move to a more eco friendly system? But like that's all of that is going to come from federal funding. How do we, you know, like so like people like want all these all these goods and services without paying for it, without contributing to it, without doing anything, and it's like people like we're literally asking you for two things number one fill out the census which takes 10 minutes or less um also i do want to recognize that there are people who don't have access to internet who you know um so like again this is this is there is a degree of privilege in the way i'm speaking right now so i have to definitely 
acknowledge that. Ditto. Ditto. Secondarily, <laughs> is also asking people to vote. Again, a degree of privilege, because if you are working and you cannot get out of work and there are ways of, um, pe- of, of voter suppression that target people who are low income, who have to work, who can't, you know, don't have access like we, that's why we need to educate them on absentee ballot, mail-in ballots, right? So that like they understand that they, they don't have to sit in line, wait in line for eight hours at a time. They get mm-hmm. it in early. They can still get their voice be heard. Um, right. So this is why like, you know, again, messaging, 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 how you communicate things, um, but also checking our privilege, but also doing the work ourselves where we can, again, going all the way back to the beginning of this podcast where it's we need to lay down each individual brick in the right way in order to create the world that we want to see. 100% agree. And I also I think because we're talking about really really big things like it can it can get overwhelming really quick. Like the fact that we're we're basically <laughs> in one perspective we're saying like the entire future of our nation relies on your one survey. But kind of yes and kind of no. You know, like if you don't it's one less voice and it's one less data point. And if enough people, right, if enough people feel that way or feel that irrelevant or feel that lazy or scared or apathetic or what, you know, a number of different reasons why people opt out, um, if enough people feel that way, then there's something really, really significant. It will have a very significant detrimental effect on our future outcome, right? Mm-hmm. And so like a cost benefit analysis i recognize like i empathize i there's so much i'm learning about why people are scared too um and it's just funny with our generation with data i'm just like y'all are worried about that census we should be more worried about facebook do you know what i mean they have yeah. way more data on us so i don't yep. understand like how knowing how many people live in your household like zuckerberg's got all of that bezos has all of that linkedin has like everyone has that data already so to Which me the federal I government know, already has because of, of like so. Exactly. I just don't assume. That th- Personally, I'm just like privacy doesn't exist. I don't know why anybody believe. Like what? Um, no. The second you got a smartphone, that out the window. Right, and they're always listening. Look at your ads, honey. Like you talk. We just talked about a number of things. I'm gonna open up one of my apps, and I'm just gonna get advertised to which is something we talked about <laughs> in the last like ten minutes. So it's just a number of things. We're really trying to cover a lot of ground, but. I know that everyone, it can feel so big and we're, it is a big deal, but it coming back to the brick analogy, it's, it's one thing, um, that hopefully collectively makes a big impact and you don't have, we cannot single-handedly change the entire world or change the entire system just in and of ourselves. But again, it's like, just talk to one person. I just talked to my mom. That was like my selected choice of like who I want to have a discussion with in terms of like all the things I'm dealing with and my work and like collaboration and all these other things I care about. I was like, I'm going to talk to my mom and see what she thinks about the census. And I was really surprised. She had already filled out hell of days before I ever did. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> Oma, what? And she's like, good oh, like, Yeah. She's like, of course I did it. And I was like, okay, my bad. <laughs> and, and then I asked her, I was like, will you tell your friends to fill it out too? And she's like, okay. Cause she already helped everyone out with their PPP loans. Cause yeah. she, she speaks, she understands forms and she's very like the go-getter in that way. So, you know, through talking to my mom, she talked to at least like eight Ajamas and like, who knows how many more people that, that got to fill out the census. So it's just exactly. like brick by brick, conversation by conversation, one survey at a time, one conversation at a time. These are really big things we're talking about, but it also is, it can be bite size, you know, in terms of our actions and thinking about how we go about it. 
you know, it doesn't have to be that big, but it can make a big difference. 100%. I just have like, you know, I guess like two quick analogies. One is like, you know, the greatest sports dynasty in, in history will, I know some people who are hearing this probably going to cringe and throw up, but it is the New England Patriots. And, and, the, and their motto is do your job. And it's very simple, but it's very, very profound. It's very mm. simple in the sense of everybody just focuses on what is right in front of them. Mm. Collectively, you end up accomplishing a much bigger goal. And the second thing that I want to put out is, is like everyone is, it's like a puzzle piece, like a puzzle. If you have a 300, you know, a thousand piece puzzle, um, collectively, you're very small, like you're one in a thousand, but each individual piece is shaped uniquely to that puzzle that without it, you can't have the full thing. So everybody has a role to play, has a job to play, and it is special, but if we don't do it, then we're not going to actually be able to create the beautiful picture that we're trying to create or the beautiful world that we're trying to make. Mm. This was a, this divinely guided conversation was brought to you by the universe and spirit. I don't know what to credit. (laughs) We both believe in a higher power, but I, I just really appreciate everything we spoke about, everything that you just educated me on. I am like, I'm tired and running mainly on caffeine right now, but I feel like I've been given like a huge second wind of like, okay, you guys, we have X number of days to get this done. Let's go. Cause I was feeling honestly pretty tired and disillusioned at the top of this conversation, but I just really appreciate you, Sam. Thank you for taking the time to to talk with me and share your thoughts. No, I appreciate it. And, and also like the, the fact that you are trying, like, this is your way of, of, making a difference and we're at war mm-hmm. this is war and you're going to get tired you're going to get injured you're going to get hurt you're going to feel dejected um feel hopeless and in those moments go to the infirmary right go get go get patched up go get healed go do whatever you need to do to get get ready but with the intention that you're going to go back out into the battlefield and you're going to keep fighting because this fight isn't going to be over anytime soon but if we don't fight it, then we're going, then it's, then the world that we ever hoped for is never going to happen. And man, and we're not going to be able to manifest in any which way. So I definitely say like, we got this. Um, thank you, Minji. Like, you know, the, the action, the activist work that you're doing, the opportunities you're giving to people, elevating voices, and also, you know, putting your own voice into it is all so powerful and necessary. So I'm just grateful to have made, uh, you know, like a friend in a, in a, in a new Luna. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. someone who I definitely share kindred spirit with. So I appreciate you. I got you. Got your back. Thank <laughs> you. I appreciate that. We're all doing our part. And um, hopefully, you know, anybody listening to this, if if you are something sparked in you because of something that we said, hopefully something resonated personally. That's like, honestly, my goal with this podcast is not just like education. I mean, education is vital, but education with motivation, right? If we, mm. if we again, if we know things and we don't care about what we know and we don't do anything with what we know, like what we know is power, right? And um, I just want to hopefully like keep bringing on people that I'm personally very moved by and hopefully that will translate and hopefully contribute my part so that we can keep moving because we got to move. We can't stagnate. Um, There's a lot at stake and I'm being very perfectly Korean drama about it. There's a lot at stake. You guys (laughs) don't lose this moment. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, do your thing. You have at least Sam and me cheering you on. So whatever uh, conversations are going to happen as a result of you listening to this and listening to other people, please don't let this be like the only thing that you listen to. Also, like do your own research. I just highly encourage people to find out more because the more that you know, the more easy I think it'll be to talk with other people about it and to also answer your own questions, right? So um, hopefully... We can keep getting the word out there. Just FYI, the deadline for the census in particular is the end of September now instead of the end of October. It has been moved. So clock's ticking. I'm going to get this episode out ASAP. We're recording this at the top of September and uh, we just got to get it done. And hopefully, Sam, you're going to be back. I hope we, we can catch up and um, keep me updated on on the, the amazing path that you're on because I, I have a feeling it's going to be a doozy. We'll see. Fingers crossed. But again, it's not about me. It's about the community. It's about the people. So Exactly. That's why we're cheering you on. Or at least I am. So, uh, Where can people find out more about you, the work that you're doing, and all, all the things you want to plug? Yeah, mostly they can find me on you know social media, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, um, at Samuel, S-A-M-U-E-L-J-H-Y-U-N. So for people who don't know how I pronounce my last name, it is Hyun. It's like Hyundai. Mm-hmm. Just take out the day. It's really not that hard. I've heard every, everybody call it, it Hyundai. They Han, call it Hyundai. Hyun, But also definitely need to plug uh, the Asian American commission it is a state agency of masters. We, we are doing amazing work. Not going to lie. Um, Korean American citizens league and the executive director for also hate is a virus. And I am not a virus. Um, two great, great organizations um, and just amazing people behind both those movements. Keep it up. I want to do a shout out to Michelle Hanabusa because I love yes. you. Oh, love you, Michelle. <laughs> she she helped design my logo, FYI, for my uh, podcast. That is that is under her guidance. So Michelle is with us. This is where we all collaborate with each other. And this is how we can lift each other up with whatever we contribute. Absolutely. Yeah. Keep up the great work, Sam. Um, I'm cheering for you. I'll be following along, uh, following your social medias and all that. And hopefully we will all answer the census, right? Right. Yes. And vote. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for being on this episode of First of all, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in for this week's episode of First of All with Sam Hyun. Your voice matters. Hope you learned a lot because I definitely did. I hope you'll follow Sam and his work and continue to support all the work that's being done, um, not just for the Asian American community, because I don't know your relationship with that community, but with all the efforts um, for justice, equality, and for change for the better so that we can all sleep peacefully at night and trust each other, spend money wisely, build a good economy, be healthy, all of the above. Um, yeah, it's been it's been an honor. I learned a lot and we'll continue the conversation. Thank you to Marvin Yue, my audio engineer and producer. Thank you so much for holding it down, Marv. Thank you to Uzuhan for use of his song, Uzu Trap, for the intro and outro. Shout out to Juliana, who's helping me with my social media. You're the best. You're amazing. I'm so glad to have you on the team. We're growing. And uh, thank you to the Patreon patron family who is helping keep this microphone on my wi-fi on all the things i love you all so much and i love our google hangouts i love um, the messages the support and the ideas the creative ideas not only for topics of conversation and deepening these these talks um, but for merch ideas all kinds of fun things that have been happening 
throughout a very difficult time this year. I'm just really glad to have you guys there, so thank you to my Patreon family. And if you'd like to support this podcast, you can also become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash firstofallpodcast. And if that's not your thing and you would like to share your gratitude in another way, you can follow me on Instagram at firstofallpod. You can go to the bio. There's a link tree where you can go find my Amazon wish list, my PayPal, whatever you know, you'd like to express your gratitude for. I will receive it with open arms, with a lot of gratitude, and use it wisely and pay it forward. And uh, thank you to Brian who shared his... Um, not shared his. He he like bestowed my one of my not one of my my first Amazon wish list fulfillment, which was a camcorder. I'm going to be Twitch live streaming, and so keep an eye out for the social media because I'll be announcing that, and you guys can find out where and when to tune in for that. I'm excited. I'm a total noob. I'm going to start small and see how it goes and have fun with it. So yeah, uh, find me on Twitch, and um, for that you'll have to follow me on Instagram at First of All Pod. My personal page is Minjeezy if you want to follow me there. You can also email me at firstofallpod at gmail.com and I'm a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective which is a collective of Asian American pop podcasters and storytellers uh, please check out some of the channels out there it's really fun it's great and yeah that's it for this week's episode please share the episode if it was helpful and spoke to you if you'd like to share that with a friend go for it and also leave a five star review and subscribe so you can help me get the word out to others with everyone that's collaborating on this conversation That'd be great. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Radio Public, and everywhere else you find podcasts. And that really is it for this week's episode. I love all of you. Take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Hey, Brian. Did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 